Good morning, church. As these sermons are recorded uh, a couple of weeks in advance, you're going to need to listen to the greeting at the first of our worship to getting new information about uh, where we are on reopening. And we will probably reopen in bits and pieces as the government and health officials uh, give their information to us. We, we want to move at the speed of love, which means we want to gather as soon as we can because isolation kills, but we don't want to gather so soon that it causes illness, pressure, and fear. And so we're balancing all of these things. Please continue to pray for your leaders and you will be informed the moment we know things, you will know things via the e-blast, the greetings on our weekly worship. Uh, you will, you'll know. All right. Now, what we're going to do today, we finished Ecclesiastes last week. We're putting a hold on Job because during the sermons in Ecclesiastes, I'd mentioned a sermon I preached here the first time I visited back in November of 2013, uh, just before I moved here. And several people said, we really would like to have that sermon because we weren't here at the time. Uh, so I'm going to repeat a sermon. It's called The Story, Your Story. You see, every, every people, nation, tribe, and kindred has a story. And they, they even create this mythology about themselves. And some of that mythology may uh, be about gods. Others will be about uh, great godlike folk heroes, like in America. There's uh, Paul Bunyan and Davy Crockett and Mike Fink and that sort of thing. We have a story as well. And our story starts like all good stories. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning once upon a time. Now, is this just a story? No, we believe that all of these stories are giving us great truths. Atheists will say, how silly of you. Why don't you just believe in Paul Bunyan or in um, oh, Adonis or Zeus? Well, the reason is well, there, we think there are very good reasons not to believe in those. We have a reasoned faith. We look at evidence. And everybody, every day, does hundreds of things on faith. Whenever we eat something, we have faith that all that food process, which we know nothing about, was done properly. We get on airplanes, even though we're not physicists, we don't, we're not mechanical engineers, we don't understand all of the physics of flight. We believe because we listen to the people who know that stuff and we trust them. Everything you know about the Middle Ages, everything you know about the Civil War, we get from people that we trust. And we get these stories from people that we trust. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And this God, you can get to know a being by the names that they are called and by what they do. This God has given names such as the covenant maker, the promise giver, the Lord of lords, almighty God, God of host, and father. It's an amazing God we're being introduced to right off the bat. And then what he does shows us even more. He's an artist, a serious artist, a wise artist, and a playful artist. Yes, playful. There's no other way to explain things like giraffes and otters and the magnificent colors of the back end of a baboon, and all of these playful things that God makes, some of them very serious, nature red and tooth and claw, as the poet said. Other things make us laugh. 
And he didn't just make flowers. He filled the world with all these different kinds of flowers. He didn't just make clouds. He made millions of different shapes of clouds. He didn't just make insects and animals of all sizes. He went from the microscopic to the gargantuan. And he said, this is good. Now, he was not alone. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were not alone. The scripture tells us that there were angels there. Angels that helped them, angels that did their bidding. It, it's, um, it's, it's a really fascinating study to study angels. But that's not what we're doing today, except for one angel. One of these angels was actually a different kind of angel called a cherub. Now, we have Valentine cards, and we have these little pudgy babies with little bows and arrows, um, which seems arming babies with bows and arrows might not be the wisest thing we've ever done. But that, and we call those cherubs, nothing, nothing like that in Scripture. The cherubs in Scripture, when they show up, there are earthquakes, there is, uh, there is thunder, there is shaking, there is terror, lightning, creatures with swords all around that's how you know a cherub has shown up in Scripture. And this one's not just a cherub. It's a guardian cherub. One of the highest of the highest angels. Not an archangel, but about, as far as I know, about as close as you can get to one. Later, we'll call him Satan or the devil. But at this time, he's really nameless. And he looks at this plan. And he didn't like it. From a human standpoint, he, he had a point. Because he sees God. And in the pictures of heaven, when you see heaven, the angels are swirling around the cherubs and the seraphs are going, wonderful, 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 wonderful to God. And some atheist friends of mine have said, what kind of God is it that has to create a whole bunch of people to tell him he's great? No, that's not the point. The point is he is so great, they're not over him. You can't get over how great God is. It, it's rather like um, people who love Disney World and Disneyland and you know who you are. Most people can go once, twice, three times and say, this is brilliant, this is lovely, uh, expensive, but a lot of fun, quite the experience. But there are other people that need to go 10, 15 times a year all their life because they're never over it. I wouldn't make fun of those people for a second. But when I see them, I'm thinking, that's what it's like to be in the presence of the Father you cannot get over it. So, he's way up there. And to an angel's viewpoint, you and I are no more significant than the grains of sand upon a beach. So, what's the plan? That God created us in his image and that one of them, Jesus, is going to be sent down here looking like, acting like, feeling like, being like one of us. And then God's going to let these little critters kill his son. His son's going to come back and then forgive them and then take them eventually to live with God as an equal of Jesus. When you put it that way, you can see that the angel is going, that doesn't make sense to me. But there was more. There was, there was something in this angel's character that when he saw his beauty and power, he became entranced by it. Now, there are passages in Isaiah and Ezekiel that we normally use to give us some, a fuller picture of this, this, this bad angel, this Satan. 
Those passages mainly are talking about human beings, but you can read shadows behind the passages of the power behind the evil person. So in Ezekiel chapter 28, for example, this, this being says, I'm going to set up my throne and I'm going to be the one in charge and I'm going to tell God that the plan's wrong. We're going to go this way instead. And God, uh, the devil doesn't get past God's secretary. God flushes him. This is not acceptable. The scripture in Jude and Second Peter, for example, and by the way, whoever wrote those books, they talked to each other because there's so many similarities and they both read a book which uh, the Jews had and the Jews know about and most of it is still available online that hasn't rotted away and so it's it's been pictured and put online called the assumption of moses because they both refer to a story there and they say some of these angels that went with the bad angel were chained up while others were not to this day we do not know what that means and anybody who claims confidently that they do know has um has gone a little bit farther than god gave them permission to do so be careful it is very possible that the ones that are chained were too powerful to be let loose among us we humans it's very possible but we don't know some were chained some were loose the scripture says that a third of the angels fell now that doesn't mean 33 percent the jews use numbers in a different way it means that a lot but not most a lot but not most never look at god and the devil as equals good and evil. They're, it's not even close. This, this Satan was given other names so we can learn more about him that way. He was called dragon, a seven-headed dragon, a serpent, the father of lies, a murderer. He was called a bat and an Apollyon or destruction and annihilation. You get the picture. This is not God, the father, covenant maker, artist. This is something that unmakes beauty. This is something that undoes good. The devil has never, ever, ever had creative power. All he can do is warp what exists or destroy what exists. He cannot make something new. And this is the story, your story. Here we go. Learn the phrase, move, counter move, because it's the story of scripture and it is absolutely your story right now, today, as you're watching this. Ready? God created it and said, it is good. The devil went straight for the thing God loved. He found Adam and Eve, led them away. The world fell. And it got so, it got so bad with the devil and his angels on the planet that by Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, and we have no idea how long that passage of time is. You can't just count generations and do it that way. It's not the way the Jews talk or write. All right? So in an indeterminate amount of time, probably a great amount of time to, uh, between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 6-5. But Genesis 6-5 is unique with the amount of absolute words in it, where every thought and every imagination of every man's heart was only evil continually. That's absolute. The devil had counter-moved on the planet. So what does God do? What would you expect him to do? Forget that. He never, God never does what you expect him to do. I, I defy you to read scripture and see where God counter moves and said, yeah, that's what I would have done. I saw that one coming because no, you didn't. God goes, gets this guy named Noah who doesn't seem to have much of a skill set. 
um, needs you to build this box. Took him a hundred years. So he's not much of a carpenter. He's not an evangelist because the only people that got in the box with him were his family. No, but none of his neighbors did. So he wasn't really good at preaching, you know. Um, so he didn't gather the animals. The Bible says God brought the animals to him. And God locks him up in the box. And then he destroys the very world he made, loved, and called beautiful. I, seriously? Who would have seen that coming? Answer, nobody. Even Satan. Well, after God has done this incredible act, Satan should have learned his lesson. Should have had a bloody nose and backed off a bit, huh? Nope. As soon as the world dries off, the devil goes right for Noah, for the one God loves, and literally gets him drunk, naked, and stupid. The family divides. The world goes dark again. Many, many, many years later, there is a town that has advanced planning for its time. It is Ur of the Chaldees, the greatest civilization on earth, as far as we can tell, at that time. By far, frankly, they, they had a water management and sewage management and street cleaning management that far exceeded Europe all the way through the 1800s. So about 4,000, maybe 5,000 years before we in the West figured out, you know, it's a, probably a good idea not to throw waste in the street and then walk through it every day. They had it all sorted. It was an advanced civilization. And they, it was the headquarters of the worship of the moon goddess, whose name was, and I'm not making this up, Sin. It was the headquarters for the worship of the moon goddess named Sin. Is that where you would expect God to go and say, well, this looks like a good place to recruit? But it's what he did. God countermoved, found a fellow named Abram, and said, I need you to leave your family, leave your property, and go to a place that I'll show you later. Who would do that? Answer, nobody. Nobody would do that. Because leaving your family, they didn't do that. And leaving the land was considered the worst sin you could possibly commit. But he did. God countermoved with this guy. And this guy's faith, it was a long obedience, but boy, it was a slow one. It was a mess. And the entire time, the devil's throwing stuff at Abram. Just throwing stuff at Abram. Trying to move, counter-move Abram off the spot. And he wins a lot of those. And God has to counter-move him, move him back into slot. That's a problem, as one theologian said, with being a living sacrifice. Living sacrifices crawl off the altar. Abraham certainly did. Abram at the time. Eventually, the devil counters so much that he brings a famine to the land and the people are going to starve to death. Abram's people are going to starve to death. So God counters. He takes Joseph, who was taken as a slave to Egypt, the devil's move, and elevates him to become second in the kingdom, God's move. He arranges for the family to come down and by doing that saves the people of Israel from the famine. What a great counter move. Well, the devil is not going to accept this. So the devil has another people entirely conquer Egypt and call themselves Pharaoh. That happened several times in history. Uh, and so a lot of those monuments that you see were originally for a different Pharaoh who then was chiseled out of history and a different name was put up there. So this new Pharaoh came in. He didn't know who these Jewish people were and why they had the best land. He owed them nothing and knew nothing about Abraham. And so what did he do? 
made them slaves. The worst thing you can do. One of the worst human sins of all, of all time is slavery. That was quite the counter move by the devil. So God moves. How would you expect it? I would have been singing a song he could have called 10,000 angels and said by verse 3, let's make sure they're there. No. God goes out in the desert and gets an 80-year-old shepherd, 40 years, head of sheep, Sinai division, and gives him a stick. Says, go get him, tiger. I can guarantee you the devil did not see that coming because nobody saw that coming. An 80-year-old guy with a stick, and guess what? Israel went in, became slaves, but came out as a nation. God countermoved. The devil countermoved, sent Pharaoh after them, the whole Red Sea thing, the drowning of the like. And then God has to introduce himself to these people because they've lost all touch of who he is. So they come to this mountain, which is shaking. It is smoking. There is lightning. There are trumpet sounds and the like. Yeah, means cherubs are there. And then silence. And then you hear the voice of God. And he says, Moses, come up here. I want to talk to you. Have you ever wondered what Moses felt like as he went up that mountain? To know that at the very top, he would be alone with God. And one of these days you will know because it'll be your name. But while they're up there on top of the mountain, the devil counter moves, comes to the bottom of the mountain and tells the people, you know, it'd be a good idea. Let's make an altar uh, and an idol and make the idol look like a cow. And let's worship it. And people did it. You can say, how insane is this? And then I would say, please find a mirror. We have always embraced sin, and sin is always stupid. It is always a bad idea. It is always destructive, and yet we run and do it again and again. More about that later. Moses comes down, sees what the devil has countermoved and how successful it is, and he breaks all Ten Commandments at the same time. Yes, physically, not existentially. God calls him back up. They punish the ones below. God gets the, the law done again. God's patience in all of this is really stunning. His patience with how slow we learn anything is really stunning. So there they go down. They got law now. They got ceremony. They got the tabernacle. Everything's great. God's sending them in the battle. And the dragon, the devil, roars. He sends against them the Hittites, the Moabites, the Babylonians, the Chaldeans, the Greeks, on and on and on, sending wave after wave, counter-moving against the people of God. And then we come to a monster, Antiochus Epiphanes, or Antiochus IV, the madman leader of the Greek empire, who decided to destroy the Jewish race, wipe it out forever, pulled everything holy out of the temple, put in altars upon which he sacrificed pigs to purposefully make sure it became unclean territory for Jews. But you know what the real blow was? The real blow wasn't Antiochus. There's always going to be bad people. There's always going to be despots and dictators. It's when your own people go along with them. And many of the Jews saw Antiochus as not just a madman monster, but also they saw all this Greek learning and all this Greek culture and the plays and the amorality which is looked upon as okay and the worship of other gods and they went along 
They became Hellenistic Jews, which means Jews that wanted to act like and be like the Greeks. It was awful. It was arguably the lowest point in Jewish history, human history. Because the Jews were chosen of God. They, they were a subset of all humans, right? So they, they did no better or worse than any of us would have done. But at arguably the lowest point, God raises up a group of irascible, very difficult to get along with people in one family. We've all met families like this. And they're known to history as the Maccabees. And they were able to overthrow and drive the Greeks out and even clean the temple, light the candles. That's where they, we get the festival of lights or Hanukkah to this day. But it didn't last long. I've got to ask you, why is the devil so successful? Why? Because he has a trump card. He has a weapon. And it's called death. Everything else we can, we can, we can handle. But nobody could take his weapon away from him. Death. It's the clock. We just went through Ecclesiastes. And so you should be ready for this and understand that death makes people rush through their life, rushing around, never getting their joy because they're terrified that they won't get their joy. The chasing of joy means you don't get joy. And they're always, well, well, I'd like to be happy, but I'm not happy right now. So I'm going to take a drug to make me happy. I, 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 want, I want to be sexually fulfilled right now. I'm not, so I need to dump my family and go find another family. I, I want success in life, and I don't have success right now, so I must go take the success that others have had or rail against them until the government forces them to give it to me or whatever. You get the point. Death teaches us that we got to gather our toys now because as the old expression went on bumper stickers back in the day, he who dies with the most toys wins. When really, if we'd had our brains engaged, we would have realized he who dies with the most toys still dies and doesn't get to keep a one of them. I can even remember beer commercials. Why are beer commercials the best made commercials? But back in, what was it, the 80s, I think? I think I would, we had just come back to America then. But there was a commercial where guys would be fishing or hunting or camping or doing some other activity where you drop the G off the active form of the verb. And, and they're all, you know, having a great time. One will look at the other one and goes, well, it doesn't get any better than this. Seriously? For the Christian, it doesn't get worse than this. Everything is up once we're off this planet. But we forget that every single day. Because the devil waves that weapon, death. The dragon kept death close to him. Nobody could be found to enter his lair and remove death from him. Nobody. Nobody had been successful. And so God counterattacks. And nobody could have seen this coming. He sends a baby to a non-important hamlet in a non-free country to a couple who aren't quite married. Don't you dare tell me that you know what God thinks, you know what God feels, and that you know what he's about to do next. Nobody could have seen this coming. God countermoves and invades the planet in the form of a baby. Well, what we didn't see that night and what we didn't see in his life were the countermoves. Now, we see a lot of the countermoves. Let's just 
be fair, if we read the Gospels. But there was an underlying set that we didn't get. And in Revelation 12, there is this beautiful, bizarre, and powerful story that there is this young girl about to give birth to the one who would rule all things, who would rule. There is, there's no question here. And yet there is a dragon who wants to stop it. And as the woman cries out giving birth, a dragon enters. I'm a big Christmas fan. I love Christmas. Uh, didn't get to celebrate it growing up, and so I celebrate it extra now. Well, as I, you drive by and you see those creches people put out front, and there are you know, the three wise men, we have no idea how many there were, and they didn't show up at the stable. They showed up a couple years later. I know all of that. Forget it. They're there. You have the shepherds, and you have the, the adoring animals around, and then there's a the baby Jesus. I love that sort of thing. But if we did them exactly accurately, we'd also have to put a dragon in there because the scripture says, as she was giving birth, the dragon reached out to crush the head of the infant because there is one. There is one being in the universe, at least, who knew the plan of God and who had, at the very beginning of time, said, I don't want anything to do with this plan. It's a bad plan. Satan. And so Satan was there to end the plan. Remember, Satan does not like you. He does not trust you. He does not think you are worth the effort. God loves you, trusts you, and has entered into covenant with you, believing you are worth the very death of Jesus. Now think of that. The dragon comes in to crush the head of the baby, and God roars. I'm a, I'm a very peaceful person. Um, it took a long time for me to become peaceful. I used to get involved in scraps a lot, which is really stupid for somebody who's only 5'9". Uh, I have, I have uh, been rearranged more than once. I have firearms, and I love to shoot. I don't hunt. I, I wasn't part of that culture. But I love to shoot. But I only shoot paper. I'm not interested in shooting a person. I think I'm kind of a nice person most of the time. But if you were to come into my house with your claws and hatchet heading toward my wife or one of my kids, my personality would change. I'm not going to tell you. I would stop you because I have no idea if I'd be effective stopping you or not, but I'd certainly try. Devil went after Jesus and that made everything personal. Before then, we see the devil going in and out of heaven, making comments. You don't after. He's tossed. Jesus said, I saw him fall from heaven. He was tossed. You don't go after, you don't go after Jesus's. You don't go after God's boy. As the devil reaches out the dragon to crush the head of the infant, what happens? The Bible says Michael and his angels showed up. You don't want to mess with Michael. I, I'm not sure that an angel, I, I see things, people see things, right? I don't have a lot of uh, personal encounter angel conversation time. But if an angel ever showed up in my room and said, hi, I'm an angel, got a message for you. After I was done fainting, crying, and trying to hide under the bed, I would ask, what's your name? If it's Gabriel, good news. Bring it, what we got? If it's Michael, eh, I'm probably dead. Michael is all combat, and he is amazing in scripture. We don't get much information about him, but just enough to know, don't mess. Don't mess with anything that will get Michael sent to you, all right? That said, 
Michael is in the building. It's a very crowded Christmas crash at this stage. The scripture in chapter 12 of Revelation says that God just said no and grabbed the devil and threw him out of heaven forever. And then he sends leaflets, like dropping leaflets during war to all of us down here saying, watch out. The devil is down there. He is wounded. He is angry. And he will try to come for you. Move, counter move. He was still armed with death. He could still get us. Throughout the history of, of the world, the devil had been safe in his lair with death. Romans 5, 14, nobody could approach death. Somebody had to defeat death. And who's going to defeat death? Romans 5 and verse 8. We can go to 1 Corinthians 15, 21 through 26. Somebody has to take death away from the devil. And so one day Jesus walks down the mountain, says to the mob, who are you looking for? They said, Jesus. He said, that's me. He had to work with it to get them to arrest him because they were afraid of him and they wanted to arrest him at the same time. But they finally got him. And the devil threw everything he had at the Son of God. You want to suffer for these people? You want, you want to do this? Okay. Here are the whips. Here are the nails. Here's the humiliation, the nakedness, the brokenness, the pain, the desertion. You're going to get it all, Jesus. This is what you want. You're going to get it all. And Jesus died. Where was, where was Jesus between death and resurrection? I'm not talking about the body here. The body, we all, we all know the body was in the grave. Where was Jesus? Well, I've had people say, well, he was doing this out of the other. We, we really don't know. The, uh, Peter writes that um, he was preaching to the spirits in prison. And you know what that means? No, nobody knows what that means. I've heard many theories, and I always want to say, you know, good job, Timmy, but... We weren't given enough information to know what that means. What we do know is that later, when he's resurrected, Mary hugs him and he says, I've not yet gone to the Father. One thing I do know he did, though, wherever he went, he disarmed the devil. Somehow, during that time, he went into the dragon's lair and took away the weapon that had been used against us in all of these move-counter moves for all of these millennia, millennia, and millennia past. When he came out, he said, devil's disarmed. He's going to act like he's still got death on you, but he doesn't. Now you don't die. Oh, your body's going to drop one of these days, and it will drop whether you have toys or not, and it will drop whether you are happy or not. It'll drop. But you don't die. It's all good. I got you. Wow. I want you to think about this last week as we close this up. Every chance you had to do something good, there was a counter move, wasn't there? Every chance you had something to do which is righteous and pure, there was another option laid out for you. For every young lady who's looking for Mr. Right, there are a lot of Mr. Wrongs that are flooded into her life. And we could do the same with young men that are looking for love. And the devil will try to railroad that with uh, sex and need and power games. And he does. He floods the zone with other options. I remember once I preached this sermon 
at a church in Michigan, uh, a church that served there. And later it wasn't recorded. They, they couldn't figure out why. It took us three tries to get it recorded. Today it's taken two already. The devil counter moves. Sometimes subtle, sometimes not. But from this day forward, look at your story and understand it's a part of the story. It's not a mystery. Don't live your life like it's a mystery to be solved. It's an adventure to be lived and you get to choose. Way back, what was it, 80s, 70s, I'm not sure. There were a whole bunch of books that were called Choose Your Own Adventure. And the first part of the book would set up the story. And then if you do this, go to this page. If you do that, go to that page. And it all, they were fascinating. Life is a choose your own adventure. The devil is disarmed now, but he's still gonna try to tell you, hey, you want happiness? Better get it now. Hey, you want power? You better get it now. Hey, you want joy? You better get it now. And who cares what it costs you or anybody else to get it? Because death is coming. And no, it isn't. Not for us. The name of this entire year is You Are Here. Looking at Ecclesiastes, then Job, then Revelation. And this one-off sermon just reminds you of this. You are here. You will not go away ever. For you are here in the very hand of God, surrounded by his promises. And God's never failed yet. He does not plan to start failing with you.